You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. We are continuing on in regards to the series called Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics. And the scripture that we focused on last week and this week is 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Simple scripture. If you've never memorized a scripture in your life, this would be a great one to start. Or we talked about last week about Jesus weeping. That's a great scripture. If you've never memorized a scripture, you could probably memorize Jesus wept. But if you once you get past that one, you can go to this one. 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. Let's make it personal today. I love God because God first loved me. I love God because he first loved me. There was a a study that was released this week that I saw in the news where it talked about um, an interesting stat. It's not very interesting. It's kind of unfortunate, but a stat that that was proposed that Christianity or those who claim to be Christians will fall below the majority line of the major religion in America by the year 2070. The speculations are if we stay on the same pattern that we're on, if we're not converting anyone to Christianity and people are leaving the Christian faith, they're leaving the Christian church, the estimation is that we will fall below 50% of people in America claiming to be Christians. And that we, as Christians, the religion of Christianity will no longer be the majority, the major religion of America by the year 2070. And if we stay in our current trend, it could fall all the way down to the 40s. That only 40% of the people in America claim that they're... And it could fall, if we continue in our current trends, that we could fall even to the high or low 30s. Now, we're all a bit of an older bunch. You might be thinking, well, it doesn't affect me. Might not be here by 2070. I might start selling a book and saying that Jesus is going to return in 2070. We got a date if there's no Christianity then. But you see, it's a staggering stat that doesn't have to happen if we, as this generation, as this current time period of people, go back to the basics. How can our children and how can our grandchildren who will be affected by this, I'm 30 and some change right now, so in 50 years, in 2070, when they're saying this stat would come to pass, I would be in my 80s. There's a good chance that nobody's going to tell me in the 80s when I'm in my 80s, they're going to change my mind about my Christian walk. But it's going to affect my children It's definitely going to affect my grandchildren. And so it's important that we all understand and go back to the basics so that we can teach our children, so that they can teach their children, and that we can help continue to share this glorious gospel. It's called the good news for a reason. You can't believe how good it is. And how can we train them up if we don't know the truth to pass it on to them? In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, if you've read any type of self-help, 
parenting book, you've heard this scripture before, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. Now, we put our Christian spin on that because it is a scripture in the Bible, but that's a truth that happens outside of the Christian world. Because let's be honest, there are other religions that are out there that are training up their children in the way that they think is the right way, and they aren't departing from it. Mormons, Catholics, Muslims, they are a lot better in teaching their kids what to do, how to do, where to go, how to pray, all of these things, the tenets of their faith, and majority of these kids aren't departing from it outside of a divine inspiration from God showing up in their lives. So this is a truth that we teach our kids. My parents taught me to give. My parents taught me to serve. I haven't departed from that. I'm still giving. I'm still serving. I'm teaching my kids to give and to serve. This is a truth that you can apply outside of the Bible, outside of Christianity, and it still works that you train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they get older, they won't depart from it. It can also happen in a negative way. A lot of times when people see their dad or see their families be alcoholics, they're trained up in that way, and sometimes that next generation falls into the same trap. So we've got to know what to train up our child in. We need to know what to teach our children to help them. And it goes back to being the basics. And it starts with the foundation of what we talked about last week is knowing and understanding that God loves you. That God loves me. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates, shows off, presents his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. He lets you know that you were already loved by him. He loves you because you are his creation. He's not a fan of you being a sinner. He's not a fan of your sin. Throughout the scriptures, it's very evident that he hates sin. He can't be around sin. He doesn't like sin. It's not good. The wages of sin is death. So God came up with a plan while you were still a sinner to pull you out of the sin, to get you away from the sin so that he could have a relationship with you, bring you out of death and bring you into life. And he demonstrates his love that while you were still a sinner, Christ dies for you and for me and for all of humanity. God has already showed his hand. And that hand that he has shown is that he loves you. He's already beaten you to the punch If you think that you want to love God first, you're wrong because he already loves you. He's already got a plan. He's already got a purpose. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, it says in Psalms 139, he was already working a plan. He was already making a way for you, who your parents were going to be, where you were going to be, what you were going to do. God loves you. And now after we've learned last week about God loving us, now we're going to do the first part of the second part of the series that I love God. God loves me, so now I want to learn how I can love God. In John chapter 14, verse 21, 22, and 23, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, I mean, the Apostle John is not a fan of Iscariot. He wants to make sure that he didn't ask any good questions. Judas, not him, not the bad one, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And look at verse 23. It's like a broken record. Jesus is repeating himself again. And Jesus answered him and said to him, if anyone loves me, this is what he'll do. He will keep my word. And if he keeps my word, my father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will make our home with him and her. Now, we've talked about over the years of us preaching and doing Bible study and things like that, that when you're reading the Bible and you're reading a book and you see uh, one of the books of the Bible having a continual theme, then it should capture your attention to read it more. If you're reading a chapter and you're seeing the same word or the same theme repeated over and over again, then you should pay attention more, especially when Jesus says something multiple times in a book or a chapter or when he says it multiple times in three scriptures. In a three-scripture window, he says, if you love me and you keep my commandments, then I will love you, and we will come, and we will hang out. And Judas says, I've got a question. And it's like, as a broken record, he says it again, which should scream to you when you're reading the Bible to stop and read it again, because he's really trying to drive home a point. If you love me, then you'll keep my word. And if you keep my word, then I'll love you, and we'll come and we'll hang out with you. And so what does that look like? How do we love God? Sometimes we make it this big, crazy idea of how do I love God? So we're going to look at some scriptures today, kind of help you understand how to love God. That you should love God as a friend is the first thing we'll talk about. You need to love God as a family member, the second thing. And the third thing, you need to love God as a spouse, so that we can understand how we love and how we have human interactions is the same way that we can love and have the interaction with God. You see, loving God as a friend, we see friends on different occasions. We see friends in special occasions. You talk with them sporadically. You reach out to them. You check on them. I have deeper conversations with friends and acquaintances than I do with people on the street. When I see somebody in the street, when I see somebody at the grocery store and you're both coming the opposite way, you do the little head nod, you do the little smile and wave, I don't go into an intense conversation with that person letting them know my background, my history, and what's been going on in my life. They're acquaintances, they're just people walking by, but they're friends that I've grown up with, they're are our friends that we've done ministry with. There are friends here that we have conversations with, and we go a little bit deeper. We see each other on occasion. And in John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus is speaking, and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. See, there's a misconception in Christianity 
where we stay in the servant mode. Well, I've got to do this. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to pray. I've got to give. I've got to tell people about Jesus. And we're constantly, whether we think about it or not, are in this mode where we're the servant working for the master. And if I'm being honest, as a pastor, you can get caught up in that mode very easy. I've got to do this with the church, and we've got to do this with the church, and we've got to build this, and we've got to grow this, and we've got to try this out. And you're constantly trying to figure out the next steps of what you're doing in your life, the next steps of what we're doing in the church, but we get caught up being a servant trying to work and appease the master. And it says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. That when we're trying to strive so hard to work and please and get what we can out of God, and then all of a sudden you wonder why you don't know what God is saying. It's because you're working for him, but God has called you friend. And when you're a friend, look what it says. But I have called you friend. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. When we get out of the works mode, when we're constantly trying to work and work and work, well, I'm trying to read my Bible, I got to pray, I got to do this, I got to do that. God, why aren't you talking? Why can't I hear your voice? It's because you've turned back into a servant. And if you want to hear his voice, you got to be a friend. Because it says when you're a friend, whatever he hears from the Father is what he will be made known to you. You got to love God like a friend. Call him, chat with him, talk with him, hang out with him. Go meet up with him on special occasions, a.k.a. church, Bible study, events that we have. You take time in your life to go hang out with your friend, God. Andre, who's come here several times, he wrote a book And he's talked about it in in different sermons that we've been a part of. When he was growing up and he had an encounter with God, he said one of the first things he did was he went to a movie and God and him were having this conversation. And he went to a movie and he bought a ticket and walked inside. And if you read his book or you ever get the chance to hear it, he says that God spoke to him and he says, what about me? He says, what do you mean what about me? He said, well, you bought yourself a ticket. Are you going to buy me one? He said, I thought you were bringing me to the movies. He said, oh, you're right, God. So he goes back outside. He buys another ticket. He goes inside. He sits in the movie theater. Before he sits in the movie theater, he goes to the, the concession stands. He gets a Coke and a popcorn, and he sits down. And God says, do I get Coke and popcorn? I thought you were bringing me to the movies. He said, oh, yeah, you're right. So he goes back outside, and he buys another popcorn, another Coke, and he sets it in a chair. And he says, how about now, God? Is that good? He says, yeah, let's watch the movie. Now, I'm not saying to go to that extreme unless God tells you to, but that you make it a special occasion to go out and experience God. And we go up a couple of scriptures in John 15, John 15, 13. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
If you're going to be a friend of God, you're going to have to learn to lay down some things, to put down some things. Jesus willfully laid down his life for you. But as a friend of God, as you're walking with God, as you're hanging out with God, he's going to encourage you to lay down some things. Lay down that unforgiveness. Lay down that sin. Lay down those unbeliefs. As you walk with God, he's saying that if you're a friend, the best thing you can do is lay down your life. There are things that my flesh wants to do that I'm not going to do. My flesh wants to to run away. My flesh wants to do bad. That's what our flesh is. But I lay those things down. I don't do whatever my flesh tells me to do. I don't do whatever whatever enjoyment comes to mind. No, no, no. Me and God have a relationship. And I'm going to lay my flesh down. I'm not going to let it hurt our friendship. The Apostle John is one of the most beautiful friendships with God that we can see in the Gospels. John 13, 22 through 25, we see a story of John interacting with his friend, Jesus. Now, they're having the Passover meal. They're having the Last Supper. They're about to have communion. They're having this moment with the disciples and Jesus that nobody else can see. Nobody else is privy to. There's no cameras there. There's no documentary being filmed. This is a private, intimate setting with the disciples right before he goes to the cross. And the disciples looked at one another perplexed about what he had just said. Jesus had just said that somebody was going to turn him in. That somebody was going to sell him out. And they're all looking at each other perplexed, waiting to see what would happen next. In verse 23... It says, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. All the disciples are at the table. All the disciples are hanging out. All the disciples are right there next to Jesus. But there is one who is right next to Jesus. Not only is he sitting in the chair next to Jesus, he is reclined and leaning on Jesus. And not only the author of the book, that's who it is, also says that he is a disciple whom Jesus loved. He knew his place. He knew his position. He knew what he had with God. And he was leaning and reclining upon his friend. And look at verse 24. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, John, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Verse 25. Then leaning back on, bro- on Jesus' chest, he said to him, Lord, who is it? If you keep reading, Jesus starts talking to him. Now this is a room with a table where all 12 disciples are sitting, talking. Jesus has made a statement. The room has gone quiet. Peter, we know in the scriptures, has no issue saying something, right? If we've read the Gospels, Peter will say something. He'll just spit out whatever he has to say. He doesn't think about it. He just says it. It, Jesus, you're on the water. Well, tell me to come. Nobody's ever walked on the water. All right, come, Peter. Peter and James and John are up on the mountain, and they see the transfiguration happen. Well, we should build churches right here. That'd be great, Jesus. And then God himself comes down and corrects Peter. Peter has no issue saying things just off the 
But somehow he looks at John and recognizes that there is a closeness, there's a relationship between John and Jesus. And he could have said, Jesus, tell us what you're saying. But he looks at John and he says, ask him, ask him. And John, being a friend with Jesus, being so close and next to Jesus, leans back and says, hey, can you tell us what you're talking about? If you keep reading the story, Jesus starts expounding and answers him. Love God like the Apostle John loves Jesus. Get as close to him as you can to hear what he has to say. Love God as a friend. Proverbs 17, 17 kind of transitions us to the next point where it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. To have somebody on your side through the good, the bad, and the ugly. To love God as a family member. Now we're going to go a step deeper in our love for God. Loving God as a family member. Because friends aren't always over at the house. They're not always there. They come and go on special occasions. But your family, your family's there. They're there when you wake up in the morning. You got messed up hair. You got dirty teeth. They see you in your jammies. They see you at night when all the makeup's off, when all the goo's out of your hair, when your beard's disheveled. You're putting those same pajamas on that you were sleeping in the night before, back on and crawling into bed. Your family sees you throughout the day that you have that encounter with. You hang out with God every day and invite him into your house and into your daily life. Galatians 3, 26 Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. He says, for you are all sons. You're all family members of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 14, 15, and 16 says the same thing. For as many, that's including you and me, as are led by the Spirit of God. Look at this. These are all family members. They're all sons of God. 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And then verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, what? Family members. We're children of God. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God, which allows us the access and the ability to love God like a family member. Not the family member you hate and don't want to invite to Thanksgiving in a couple of months. I'm talking about your family that you go home to, that you spend time with, that you love and you enjoy on a day-to-day experience. Mary, the mother of Jesus, has the perfect example of loving God as a family member. Jesus is literally her son and her God at the same time. Now, now, she does love Jesus because he is her son, but she also loves Jesus because he is a manifestation and an answer to her prayer. Jesus is a promise that God promised her in a fulfillment of that. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. You're going to bear a son, call him Emmanuel. God is with us. He's going to save the world from sin. 
how's that going to happen? What, what does that even mean? And she says, let it be according to your word. And in nine months, she sees the fulfillment of the answer to the promise that God made her. So not only does she love Jesus because that is her son, she also loves Jesus because it's, an, it's God showing himself faithful and mighty. And having that relationship is how she can go to Jesus at the wedding, the very beginning of his ministry, and they're all partying, they're all having a good time, and they've drank so much they ran out of wine. And she knows a family member that can change the situation. She knows who her son is, and she goes to Jesus and says, the party is dying, you got to fix it. And she says, he says, woman, it's not my time. And then she looks at the servant and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus, because he is God, always, always, always has to respond to faith. And he saw the faith of his mother and the miracle was released. He says, it's not my time. And she said, yep, it's your time now. Go fill the pots, and it's the best wine we've ever tasted. Because she loved him as a family member. She could go and talk to him like a family member. Say, God, I need you to do something. I need you to change something. I need you to help something. Then, Jesus dies on the cross, and she is there when everyone else had abandoned Jesus. In her most painful moment as a mother... Also seeing the most painful moment of her son, everyone else has left, everyone else has abandoned, everyone else is ashamed of Jesus. And in John chapter 19, verse 25, look who's standing at the cross. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26, when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and look who else is standing there, his friend, the disciple whom he loved, standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. That she loved Jesus as a family member. She was there at the greatest of moments, but she was also there at the worst of moments. She says, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. In my biggest moment of need, I'm going to love God like a family member. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 talking about Jesus. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother. And if Jesus isn't ashamed to call me a brother or call you a sister, then I shouldn't be ashamed of calling him brother and loving him like a big brother, to love him like a family member. And the last thing we have, I'm finishing with this, is love God as a spouse. Love God as a spouse. I believe that marriage is the most intimate relationship here on earth. Between a man and a woman, we still believe that. That is what marriage is. Because a husband and wife, they see you're good, you're bad, and you're ugly. They share the most personal, intimate moments with you in that marriage. My wife has seen me cry, ugly cry. 
My wife has seen me laugh. My wife has seen me get mad. My wife has seen me get frustrated. When there's no friends in the house, all the babies are put down to bed for a couple of minutes before they wake up and terrorize the house. And we get to go into the bedroom, watch a show, and you as husbands and wives know when you turn the light off and you tell each other goodnight and you have that conversation, that most intimate personal conversation, how was your day, what's going on, what happened earlier, nobody else knows about those conversations. Nobody else knows about those frustrations. What if randomly we chose one of your phones and we put up the text conversations between you and your spouse. Patrick, go ahead and roll that footage. No, <laughs> All of you are sweating right now, like, oh my God, I can't believe the things that I've said to those. In that personal, intimate relationship, anything can be said. You know, as a spouse, as soon as you have a conversation with your friend, chances are they're going to go home and tell their significant other what you said and what's going on in your life. And we need to learn to love God and hang out with God in that spouse relationship. Where, yeah, I hang out with him on special occasions. Yeah, I invite him in my everyday life and we do all that. But there's also got to be some moments where I'm vulnerable in front of him. I cry in front of him. I release my anger, my frustration, my doubts, my things in front of him. Let him see my ugly side so that he can help heal it and make it beautiful. In Genesis and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul makes the comparison of Jesus loving the church in the same thing as husbands loving your wives. Here's a little marriage advice, husbands, if you don't know this already. Husbands, love your wife. You should all tell your wives you love them real quick. Just look on over and tell your wife, I love you. Baby, I love you up there. I know I'm going long, so she's mad at me. Uh, Husbands, love your wives. Make sure you say that to your wives at least once a day. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm being honest, as a husband, I don't really like the way that's described. Because I know he died for the church. And I know that I need to die to myself so that I can love my wife and I can honor my wife. That we learn to love God like we love our spouse. In Genesis chapter 2, 18 and 24, and I am shutting it down with one more scripture after that. This is the original intent. This is what God designed in his plan for marriage between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Boy, is that the truth. I'm hungry right now, and she's got some ribs cooking at home. I will make him a helper comparable to him, dropping all the way down to verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Isn't it interesting that in John chapter 14, Jesus references the Holy Spirit as a helper? 
Jesus is saying, the husband and wife, you need a helper, you need a helpmate, you need somebody that can partner with you, that you can get away from everything else, you can get away from everybody else, and that person that's with you can love you, you can love them, and you can take them on this journey together. They're going to help you, you're going to help them, and you're going to become one flesh. And that is the same desire that God has for you in the way that we should view our relationship with God, that he has sent a helper into our lives so that we could become one with him. Since God loves you, we've established that, then you have the opportunity to love God as a friend, as a family member, and as a spouse. And Jesus said it, and he's quoting a scripture from Deuteronomy in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. If I don't know how to love God as a friend, if I don't know how to love God as a family member, if I don't know how to love God as a spouse, then Jesus just does an all-in-all thing. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And there's another version that says, with all your strength. So if you don't understand how to love someone like a friend, if you don't understand how to love God like a family member because you had a jacked up family, if you don't understand how to love God as a spouse because your marriage wasn't the greatest, then here's one that you can stand on. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything that you have. If you're going to fall in love with anybody, fall in love with God. And the more you fall in love with God, then the more you'll find out how to fall in love with other people. You want to love your spouse more? Love God more. The more you fall in love with God, the more you'll fall in love with your spouse. You want to love your family members? We'll start working on loving God. The more you love God, the more you'll find you're loving your family members. It's out there that says if you want to have more friends, you need to be more friendly. My wife tells me all the time I need to smile more. It's not that I'm not happy. It's just the way my face looks, I guess. She's like, you never look happy. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm happy. I thought I was happy. I thought we were having a good time. Now I'm not happy. Now we're not having a good time. See what you did? Whenever we're filming, she's always like, you need a smile. I'm like, okay, I smile. I'll be happy. Smile more. Be happy. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. God loves you. Take time in your life to experience the love of God. Take time to take God on a date. Love him as a friend. Love him as a family member. And love him as a spouse. Let's stand up as we get ready to go. Right on time, 11.15. God, you are faithful. It is right on time. It is. <laughs> Who's time? My time. <laughs> Father, we thank you for being right on time. Father, we thank you for loving us. Father, we thank you for loving us. For loving us. For loving me. For loving each and every person here. Yeah, they don't have it all together. They don't have it all figured out. But in this moment, you love them. And Father, help us. Show us, teach us how we can love you more, how we can have more of a deeper relationship with you. 
how we can fall more in love with you. How we can love you as a friend, we can love you as a family member, we can love you as a spouse, that we can fall in love with you, knowing that the more we fall in love with you, the less stress and worry and frustrations of the world affect us. When I know who I am in Christ, when I know that Christ is in me, the hope of glory, then anything that comes against me doesn't matter because I know that God is on my side. What can any man do to us? So, Father, thank you for reminding us that you love us. Thank you that you love us. And, Father, we choose today to love you. We loved you because you first loved us, and we walk in that love. Father, help these people today grow in their love for you, grow in their hunger to have a relationship with you. Father, each and every person here, we've, we've had bad friends, we've had bad family members, and we might have had moments where we had bad spouses or bad moments in our marriage, and we might not know how to love and how to love properly God, you're so gracious that you want to teach us and show us how to love you, how to fall deeper and deeper in love with you, to have a relationship with you, to hear your voice, to encounter you, to see you move in a mighty way. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you that they are healed by the stripes of Jesus. I thank you that they are the head and not the tail. Favor of God surrounds them like a shield. They have the mind of Christ. They are the salt and light of the earth, a city set on a hill that refuses to be hidden. Father, I thank you that you love them and you're helping them as they go throughout their week. That, Father, they're going to hear your voice this week. They're going to be used by you this week. They're going to be blessed by you this week. They're going to come back next Sunday testifying about what you have done in their lives this week. Now, Father, bless them, protect them, pour your love out upon them, cause them to prosper in everything they do, and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you all next Sunday. Take care, family. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.